Friends, let me pray for us. Now, Father God, as we turn to your word and uh, listen to what you have to say, I pray that our hearts would be soft and receptive. Today you speak to us of peace and the peace that you call us to in relationship. And as a pastor, I'm just very cognizant and aware that there is peace needed in this room. Peace between husbands and wives. Peace between parents and kids. Peace between friends and congregants. Would you reveal to us, Lord, where we're at war? (laughs) Would you help us be people of peace? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right. We continue our series in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to be reading verses um, 11 through 17, but we're going to focus on verse 15 today. Colossians 3, 11 through 17. This is God's word. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our text in particular is verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Where do you need the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts? With whom are you in conflict or at war? One of the most graphic descriptions of Jesus is from Luke chapter 19, and he's heading to the cross and entering into Jerusalem, and he sees the city of Jerusalem, and he weeps over it and says this, if you, even you would have known this day what would bring you peace, but it is hidden from your eyes. If you would only have known what would have made for peace. I imagine Christ looking at our world, 
our city, and sometimes our church in having a similar reaction. Weeping, saying, if you would only know, you knew what made for peace. And you wouldn't be peaceful. Conflict everywhere. Conflict at work. Conflict in our homes. National conflicts. Conflicts in our hearts. Conflicts in the congregation. What would it be like in a world filled with conflict? What would it be like for there to be a people who knew how to work for peace? Who knew what it meant to let peace rule in their hearts? It's Paul's hope for the church that they would share their Lord's desire for peace and in its relationships with one another that they would create this little island of reconciliation and peace in a heaving sea of chaos and conflict. Let peace rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. We learn a number of things in this little verse. And the first is that we are called to peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. The word peace in the text, it carries the sense of joining together again what has been separated or divided and making it one. So this isn't the peace and calm that we may feel in our hearts. This is talking about peace as a state of concord in relationship. It's the opposite of being at war. It's talking about the, the power of the gospel to bring peace between divided people and to unite them together. It's something vital to Paul in the scriptures. I think about how often Paul talks about peace. Just another example, Ephesians chapter 4, talking again to a group of Jews and Gentiles, very divided people, saying that they should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the author there says, make every effort to live in peace. So be eager to pursue peace. Make every effort to live in peace. And then there it says, with everyone and be holy. It's certainly central to the teachings of Jesus This idea of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. This pursuing peace. It's so central to the life of a believer. That our worship is tarnished before God without peace. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 23 through 24. The words of Christ. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister and then come and offer your gift. That is an outrageous and even comic statement by our Lord. A little rabbinic humor, if you will. So imagine you've traveled however many miles to offer your sacrifice in Jerusalem. Five days straight for some. And Jesus says when you get to the gates, ah, but you have a broken relationship. You need to go back home, and then you can come and offer your gift. It's better that you go home and make the relationship right, otherwise your worship won't be right. Be eager. Make every effort. Let it rule. Leave your gift. First, go. How important peace is to God. Why? Why is this so central to our calling? And I would argue it's because what our peace demonstrates to the world. Earlier in the book of Colossians, there's this Reference to the peace that Christ brings. The other time that the word peace is used before this in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. Speaking of Christ, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. It's interesting. There it's talking about God's desire to one day bring peace to the whole world. To reconcile all things to himself. Everything that's broken, unraveling, shattered, and rent by our sin. Somehow rewoven together in the peace and love of Christ. That's where the world is headed. How will the people of the world be informed of God's intention and of his power to do this? And how will they get on board with the program? The strange answer of the scriptures is that they will know God's power and intention to reconcile all things when they see diverse peoples come together under God's power in the church. Ever wonder why there's so much in the scriptures about Jew and Gentile relationships? Think about the New Testament. Outside of the Gospels, like 80% of it is about Jews and Gentiles getting together. Well, consider the gaps that it kept Greeks and non-Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free from one another in the ancient world. There were huge chasms, but listen to Paul in our text. Here, in the church, there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Peter O'Brien is a a commentator on the scriptures and uh, he says this about the church's role in God's plan. He says, the church appears as God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future. The uniting of Jews and Gentiles in Christ was God's masterpiece of reconciliation and gave promise of a time when not Jews and Gentiles only, but all the mutually hostile elements of creation would be united in the same Christ. The church is not only the pattern, but it is the means God is using to show his purposes are moving triumphantly to their climax. Be eager. Let it rule. First leave. First go and be reconciled. Leave your gift at the altar. As a community of reconciliation and peace, we make visible to others the invisible reality of what God has accomplished at the cross. That's the point. It's what I think that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he talks about our ministry together as a ministry of reconciliation. And so this is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to God through Christ and we bring forward that reconciling power tangibly into the world through our relationships And those peaceable, loving relationships are the very thing that draw the outside world into a saving understanding of Christ. Just can man consider just the cynicism, outrage, division, and prejudice, which is the wallpaper of our lives in our culture. What would it be like for there to be an actual community that was an alternative, a new way forward? Those, this is the point, that those who would naturally divide outside of the gospel, inside of the gospel would be one. That in Jesus, the dividing walls have been taken down. And what Christ says is that our evangelism, our faithful practice, our discipleship begins here. This is central to it. 
that the world would know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. Jesus says, I don't care about your sacrifices. I don't care about your rituals. I don't care about your quiet times. I don't care about, I don't care about those things if you aren't pursuing peace with one another. We are meant to be salt and light. What do you think our salt and light is? Peace is our salt and our light. It's not all that it is, but it's central to it. The peace that flows out of our relationship with Christ and into relationships with one another in the church. Which is why the scriptures speak of peace in the way that it does. In Ephesians chapter 4 again, it uses the image of uh, a soldier. It says, guard your hearts and minds, your unity with peace, like a soldier. Like the peace of Christ is what's guarding anything that would keep us from dividing, from getting in. Peter uses the same word for peace in 1 Peter chapter 3, but he uses a different illustration. He says, pursue peace. And the illustration there, it comes from actually the fox hunt. That the desire to, to get, the, get the foxy would be so great that you go to whatever extremes you can in order to get it. That this would be how we pursue, we hunt after peace. Pursue peace, hunt after it, let it guard like a soldier. The metaphor in our text is a little different. Paul uses here the illustration of an umpire. That's the word rule. It's a, it's the, it's a word that would be used for someone in like the Olympic Games to arbitrate between athletes. That's literally the word for umpire. Let Christ umpire in your hearts. And what does an umpire do? He calls balls and strikes. He says what's in and out, what's long and short, what's fast and slow. The umpires will rule. That's the picture. Let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts. In other words, let Christ's peace say what's in and let Christ's peace say what's out. Make sure that it is his peace within your life that rules within your fellowship. So practically, what does it look like to let Christ umpire in your heart? A couple of things as I've thought about this myself. So when we hurt others, when we raise our voice, when we make war with others, sometimes we need a timeout on our passions and reactions. Other times, 
someone will have hurt us. They are poking the bear. And we need the umpire to say peace. Sometimes when we lift our voice and hurt others, we leave and we have a great sense of unrest in our souls and guilt. And I think that that is the umpire calling us out. And so a few illustrations from my life. I consider myself a person of peace until I lose the Apple TV remote. (laughs) It just doesn't take much. And I just wondered today, how long after preaching a sermon on peace will it take for me to go off on my kids or my wife? I just live three miles down the road here. Will I make it home (laughs) in the car? What about you? After hearing a, a sermon on peace, how long will it take in the car with your family before peace is dis- disrupted? I have, uh, last week, uh, I was trying to communicate something to Eleanor, my seven year old daughter, and it wasn't taking. I tried a number of times in a normal voice. Uh, But eventually I lost my patience and I lifted my voice in a way that I shouldn't have. And I got big, if you know what I mean. And I overcorrected and I gave her scary dad face. Maybe you guys had a dad who had a scary dad face. Uh, She went and sat and began to cry. And they were Tears of fear, I think, more than anything. It took, I praise Christ that it took only a few minutes for me to feel a great sense of shame. And I went to her and I kneeled down and I said, Eleanor, I'm sorry. And before I got it out, she said, Daddy, I know you're supposed to love Jesus. And I said, that's true. And with tears in my eyes, I asked for her forgiveness. And she was great. She was very forgiving of me. When the umpire calls us out, we have the ability to apologize. Because we're people who love Jesus. And we should live lives worthy of Christ. Humble apologies are always called in. And children aren't the only one who are worthy of them. Sometimes we feel a sense of unrest in our lives because there's a relationship that God wants us to restore. And he'll take away the peace in our hearts until we restore it. I thought about a relationship in my life that has long been fractured. And and now you're thinking, man, this pastor's relational life is a real mess. And that is true. And I long for wholeness and renewal. 
and have worked for reconciliation with this other party, and there's been some progress, now we can pass the grocery store test, and that's you see the person in the aisle at the grocery store, and you don't immediately go to the next aisle in the grocery store. You would actually go down and say hello or whatever, but I want more than just being in the same aisle with a person at a grocery store. I want reconciliation. And they haven't wanted that. But I've just felt this lack of peace, this lingering sense that Christ wants me to do whatever is in my power to help and heal this. And I believe that that sense of unrest is the umpire calling the play out, calling me to something better. Peace is our salt. Peace is our light. And notice where the umpire rules in our hearts. He could have said, let the peace of Christ rule in your words. Let the peace of Christ rule in your thinking. But he says, in your heart, in that area of your life that no one but God and yourself can observe. Because y'all know You can be at peace with somebody on the outside, but in your heart, you're holding a grudge. The scriptures in the the Psalms, it talks about someone whose speech is smooth as butter, and yet war is in their hearts. Christ wants the peace to go all the way down even to our thought life and our inner conversations. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And then he says, and be thankful. (laughs) What is that? that? Does that come out of nowhere for you? And be thankful. It seems like a strange transition to me. And perhaps what he's thinking of is that A spirit of thanksgiving breeds peace. The spirit of genuine thankfulness for all that I have makes me increasingly happy with what's given to another. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so if I'm thankful in my heart for what God has given me, I won't be jealous in my heart for what he has given someone else. Perhaps that's what he's thinking of. But I like to also think that Paul is thinking about what it looks like for the Christian community to be thankful for one another. I think about how often Paul expresses gratitude for other Christians, for other believers. Just as you can go to the beginning of almost any one of his letters and he begins with thanks. This is just an example from Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Why was he so thankful for people? And it's not like he agreed with all these people. Most of these letters are about what they got wrong. But he begins with thanks. Well, if you think about it, Paul knew what it was like to be without Christian companionship. These letters were written from a prison where I'm sure there was a great longing for other people. 
he speaks about his longing to see Timothy face to face. He writes to the the church in Thessalonica that night and day he hopes to be with them again face to face. These extended times alone gave Paul a sense of the blessing of community and he wanted to, to share with them his gratitude for them even as he called them to peace. This idea of being thankful for community, it reminded me of a quote from Bonhoeffer from Life Together, a man who himself knew what it meant to be imprisoned and separated from the encouragement of the body of Christ. If you will allow me the extended quote, I think it will be helpful to us. Bonhoeffer says, the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother or sister with sister, listen to this, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in daily fellowship with other Christians. It is true, of course, And what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God, that any day it might be taken away from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let them who until now have had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of their heart. Let them thank God on their knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with other Christian brothers and sisters. Guys, we just take this for granted, is what I'm saying. So many people complaining about the church, and I get it. I work for the church. I know it's bad. I know it can be bad. But this is a blessing, a reason for great gratitude and joy, brothers and sisters reconciled to God with peace ruling in our hearts and at times even in our relationships, giving a testimony to the world of a God who is reconciling all things to himself, making peace by his blood. And he starts with us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body And be thankful. Let me pray.
gracious Heavenly Father, would the Spirit of Christ, um, would you let it arbitrate in our hearts? Would you call balls and strikes? (laughs) In and out. Would you leave us restless until we find reconciliation? Restless until we do all that we can to pursue peace and guard it. Would you help us to be, would you be so active in our life, in our conscience, to, to make us quick to apologize and quick to forgive? Would you continually bring and show your power among us in the peace that we're able to establish in relationships between fathers and daughters and husbands and wives, roommates and friends? And would you give us a great sense of gratitude for one another, the gift of being in Christian community, and ultimately, would you make us grateful for the reconciliation, um, the peace that we have with God? And from that place of restored joy, uh, would you help us to work in this ministry of reconciliation that you've given us? Lord, we give you thanks because you are our peace. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.